I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com where I'll always keep you updated on what I'm up to. I'm so excited that Recliner NYC is partnering with me because I found this longish nightgown thing and I don't wear nightgowns usually but it was like a floor length kind of dress made out of the softest fabric I've ever felt and the front is light gray and the back is black and it goes all the way to the floor and I saw it on an ad on Instagram and had to get it and now I bought it and I'm obsessed so we went after the recliner in New York City and they gave us a discount and um, you can find it on my website it's amazing I'm so excited to partner with them um nine-tenths of the customers told them that their products have helped improve their sleep, which I totally believe because these pajamas and my nightgown and everything are functional, but kind of stylish and really awesome. So go to recliner.nyc and use code MOMSXRECLINER. Mom's X Recliner, and you get 20% off, which I wish I had had when I got my nightgown. So anyway, go check it out and tell me what you think. I loved it. I had the privilege of interviewing author Anna Solomon on the Good Morning America Book Club Instagram Live account. Her book, The Book of V, was the GMA Book Club pick for the month of May, and I got to interview her there. So this is the recording of our live Instagram conversation. So if you want, you can also watch us talk (laughs) if this isn't good enough. But Anna Solomon is the author of three novels, The Book of V, which I mentioned, Leaving Lucy Pear, and The Little Bride. She's a two-time winner of the Pushcart Prize. Her short fiction essays and reviews have appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Plowshares, One Story, the Boston Globe, and elsewhere. She's the recipient of awards from McDowell, Yaddo, Breadloaf, the Rhode Island State Council for the Arts, and the Missouri Review, among many others. Previously, she was an award-winning journalist for National Public Radio's Living on Earth. Anna is a graduate of Brown University and the Iowa Writers' Workshop and teaches writing at Barnard College, Warren Wilson's MFA program in creative writing, and the 92nd Street Y Unterberg Poetry Center. Anna was raised in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and lives in Brooklyn, New York, with her husband and two children. I hope you enjoy our talk together. Bye. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. You're amazing. I was like, how can you keep all of this in your head? Like, if, if I held up 20 books that I'd read recently, I would just be like, and this one was really good. I, I, I just incredible that you can hold all of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, that, yeah. I can't remember like college, <laughs> but I can like, I can remember all the, yeah, all these books are like crisp in my head. That's a know. gift. Yeah, I guess. At least I found this one sort of arcane piece of knowledge that I can, I can exploit these days. So that's nice. (laughs) Speaking of gifts of knowledge though, oh my gosh, your book, like there's so many interesting things in your book. I, first of all, can you please tell everybody listening to this eventual podcast and everybody on GMA book club, what the book of V is about and what inspired you to write it? Yes, I would love to. This is the final cover. I'll just hold it up with that beautiful GMA seal on it, which made me have to keep it covered for like the f- week in which I got it first. Very excited. So the book is about three different women spread out across three different centuries. There is a contemporary mother of two in Brooklyn, New York in 2016. There is a U.S. senator's wife in 1973, Washington, D.C., 
And then there's a teenage Esther in ancient Persia. You might recognize the name Esther, and she is, in fact, Esther as in Queen Esther from the Bible. And the book intertwines their stories. Their stories sort of intertwine, and as it goes, you start to see them converge until they ultimately collide in the present. Which, by the way... Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, I did not... I felt kind of like a moron because at the end, I did not see how those were all intersecting. I, I, I just didn't. And I was like, oh my gosh, of course. So, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to have happen for oh, readers, right? okay. those aha moments. I mean, some, there are a couple places in the book that different people ex- have, it turns out, experienced them. So you might be one of the people who experience this a little later than other people, but as long as you experience it, that's that was the goal. <laughs> I hope I wasn't like at the like one of the slowest people to catch on. But no, I was literally I was sitting reading it while the kids were watching Paw Patrol, and <laughs> literally out loud I was like, "Oh my gosh, wait, no, 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 you're wait, <laughs> yay, yeah." That feeling that I love as a reader, and so producing that feeling in my readers is is really a joy. How this story it's complicated and intricate, not in in, in only a good way. But just there's so many, by interweaving three different stories, first of all, and even within those stories, the complications, how did you go about structuring it and writing it and not getting confused yourself and then figuring out when to do what? I mean, it's yeah. a real, it's a, it's an art form, really. How did you do Thank that? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was a challenge. It, it really was. I thought of it at times it felt like, okay, I'm, I'm making a building. Like I felt like an architect. And then at other times I was like, well, this is more like, I'm making a symphony, like a composer, mm-hmm. and I'm neither an architect nor a composer, nor do I know much about either thing, but I am a very structural thinker. And I think, you know, the only way I could have written this book or even conceived of it is because of that. And I, I did do, I use a lot of index cards. That's one of my big organizational sort of tools, <laughs> very basic, but so I'll, you know, like I, every single scene was, was an index card. And then I, I had them color coded at various times. And then I would put them up in my workspace so that I could sort of see how they were relating to each other. And I actually did it part by part to break it down further because the book's in three parts. There are three women, but then there are three parts to the book. So for each part, I, I had like, here's, this is going to be this scene, then this one, then this one, then this one, they're going to weave like this. And then I would put in sort of the different objects and themes and gestures that I had running through the book. I would kind of attach them to those cards because then I think it was, it helped me to see it visually Instead of just, you can't hold a whole novel in your head, even a, even a sort of slim novel. And this is not one, you know, this is like a big ranging novel. You, you still, you can't hold it in your head. And so finding ways to be able to visualize pieces of it at a time was really helpful. Wow. Still though, I mean, all the index <laughs> cards in the world that, I mean, that's, yeah. it's, 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 it's an enormous feat. Yeah. Could we talk about the Esther portion? <laughs> Did yeah. you research all that? What of that is recorded? What did you glean from the Bible? Like how much of that is actually what happened? Because I only know the like, let's up, right. dress up for the Purim Carnival version, right. not this version. Well, what's really interesting, this is, this is my version. This okay. is not, and the thing is that nobody knows what happened. And when you go to do the research, which I did, I mean, I read an incredible amount about in the book of Esther itself, but also about it, like all, I mean, for thousands of years, people have, as, as with anything from the Bible, people have been writing about it, arguing about it, reinterpreting it, creating new stories about it. So I just was joining this like long line of people doing that. But one of the things I figured out very early on is that no one knew what, like, 
what it was actually what what was going on at this time in terms of like that th that this was based in any fact no one has any idea who wrote this book or when i mean there's even some people theorize that a greek person could have written this like hundreds of years later there's really very little information and what's so interesting when you talk about like what's the record the only record when you do the research it all drives you back to the book of esther like a lot of people when they're looking at well what happened in ancient persia their source is actually the book of esther Hmm. which is, in my mind and in many people's mind, a work of fiction, you know, it itself. I mean, there are people who would argue with me about that, obviously, and people who take it in a much more fundamental sense, like this is what really happened. But in terms of, I mean, I, yeah, so I, I took it very much in that spirit and I played with it in that spirit and sort of reinterpreted it in that way. Interesting. Yeah. Now I feel like, well, first of all, I have a new perspective on that whole story. But second of all, I have a new perspective on all the kids even dressing up as Esther. And right. <laughs> what about Queen Vashti? And like the whole thing is just, I don't know. You've like completely yeah. boggled my mind here. Honestly. I'm glad. I mean, the book is sort of subversive in that way. It does take, you know, if you if you know, I think, and it's, it's this story, if you know, but you don't have to know the book of Esther at all to get this book, to get my novel. But I think the idea is that we, you know, whether it's this story or another, we all have had these stories we've been told in our lives about this person's good and this is person's bad. And a lot of stories are made up of that, right? Like evil and, and you know, the, who's the virtuous woman and who is the wanton woman and who is the aggressive woman and who's the meek woman. And right. this is a story that I think, like many, that many of us are told in a way where those are very clear lines. And I was really interested in kind of shaking that up and saying, well, how, how do we know this? And if we really look at what happened, like, does this ring true? And aren't all of us sort of some of both <laughs> or some of all, like, aren't there many women inside every one of us? And maybe we could, you know, do better to, to stop with these kind of categories that we tend to place ourselves and other women in. So it, it is hard. To, that's, you know, I think a real subject of the book. And I don't write to sort of have like, this is, I'm, I don't write in a polemical sense, like I have an argument to make in my novels, but that's sort of, I think if I had to have, if I had to say like one thing I'm arguing in this novel, it is sort of against categorization and like type of woman and kind of embracing us all as whole and many multifaceted. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like there's also something to women's relationship with men in the story. And there was so much dominance and sexual abuse and exploitation and throughout all three parts of the book, really. What points were you trying to make with that? Or what made you yeah. include all of it? I mean, I think that was more of an exploration in a way, but I think the, the book really is about power on a lot of levels. And and, in, mm -hmm. in, and I think at its core, about really like gendered power yeah. and about the ways in which women historically, and it turns out right now, <laughs> all the time, are working to figure out how to kind of possess our own power. And then in some cases, how to exert it. And in some cases where women are in fact not in control of their own lives, how they find ways to, even in those circumstances, to kind of find ways to have power or to figure out how to kind of be in charge of their own story. The book mm -hmm. is very much about, I think, women in relationship to men finding a way to to tell their to own narrative, like to take charge of it. And, and I think, you know, I mean, it's interesting because I, I started writing this book, you know, before the last election and before the Me Too movement and before, I think, in, in a moment that felt to a lot of people kind of post-feminist and, mm. you know, like in the aughts, it was sort of like, oh, we're all past that now, you know, and we, we all knew that that wasn't true, but it was sort of, I think, so it was interesting writing it and there were parts of it, I was like, well, will people buy this? Like, will this feel relevant 
And then it turned out like, oh yes, people really do buy this. And in this, like they, this, I don't think you have to argue for it <laughs> yeah. in that way. And it is about men in, you know, in powerful positions who don't necessarily, there's not really a reason for them to be in those positions and what they do with their power. Yeah. I was particularly interested in, in V's character and how she navigated. It was so brilliant how you said that in the context of her being a senator's wife and the power that comes with the government attached to you as well. But also how, as you were saying, how she takes the power back, even as something as simple as taking off her buttons or what she ends up doing later, not to give anything away, but like even how she, you know, spends her time while she's staying with her friend later and like that she makes these decisions with her own sexuality to try to, Mm -hmm. you know, make a stand. I thought was really interesting. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And most of them aren't conscious, right? It's not like she's like, I will make a stand with myself. Right. She's yes. sort of floundering. And so we watch her try to navigate that. And most of it's pretty messy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the book, it, it's still a little bit dark, right? There's so many, you're still trying, there are people, the women are just wrestling with this stuff over and over. Like they're kind of like in the dryer, do you know what I mean? Like centuries after centuries and like trying to figure their way out of it. Like, do you feel like there's any like, what can we do at the end of it, right? Is it inspiring? Like, should we all feel good? Should I like get rid of all my buttons and just say like, forget it? Like, <laughs> Oh my God. First of all, did you say in the dryer? Yeah. Cause I like, love that. I've never heard that, but it's so makes sense. And it's also so relevant to this book where there's so much laundry happening. I really I have been <laughs> doing so much laundry lately that yeah. literally like that is <laughs> My life is in like housework metaphors at the moment in quarantine. So sorry well, about that. But yes. No, like, it fits the book really well because the book is kind of obsessed with housework and housekeeping. Yeah. And I don't yes. know if you're familiar. Like I have this whole Instagram called Unkempt that's all about oh. like <laughs> domestic chaos. You should go check it out. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I thought I researched everything about you. I'm No, so no, sorry. no. But yeah, no. So that it's all like pictures of women's, the mess in women's homes and like piles of laundry. Literally, you'll love it. Go, oh, go take it. That'll make me feel a lot better. I appreciate it. It will. That. It makes everybody feel better. And I think actually that's sort of tied to like, well, what's the lesson or how can it, I mean, I don't, I definitely don't write toward a lesson, but I hope that it, first of all, I feel like there's a lot of life and light in the book in in the the sense of like the humor and the narrative, the narrator, there's a consistent narrator, even though we're shifting between these different women and that narrator really does have kind of a wry sense of humor and can comment from kind of outside of the morass and or like the, the neurosis. But I do feel like to me, where it leaves us is toward connection with other women and toward like the power of female friendship, the power of mothers and daughters. Yes. And those relationships are in our grandmothers and the ways in which we are tied to these women, whether or not those relationships are easy, right? They are just fundamental to us and to who we are and who, and to the stories that we're sort of beginning to tell to to people after us, right? Like, so this, this book is, you know, dedicated both to my mother, but also to my 12 year old daughter. And it, it feels to me very much a book in, in that way that that is, that to me is an, something that inspired me while I was writing it is that it felt like it was toward connection. No, I feel like Lily's relationship to her mother, especially as she's sick in the hospital is like the perfect analysis really of what it means to be an adult and deal with like your mother's demise in a way and that relationship and the things that weren't said and the things that were said and expectations and disappointments and it's like oh you just like it's like you just took all of like the therapy room stuff and just like splattered it 
in the butt. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah, it is kind of what, like, I really wanted to get into the thick of that, like that mother daughter thing. And it was, it was a real, it was a challenge to do it, you know, in, on an emotional level. And then it was also like pretty cathartic. And I, it felt like, Oh, like I'm getting at the truth of something here in a way that I don't, even though I've, I've written about mothers and daughters before, like, I don't think I've ever done it quite like this. And with this level of like, and also this, this kind of arc that you travel on with Lily in terms of coming to terms with her relationship with her mother. Yeah. Which makes it, you know, a great book for Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Has your mother read this book? My mother has read this book. Yeah, yeah. And and she says she loves it. No, she does love it. She's, she is actually like a huge champion of my work and someone who's been very tolerant when she shows up in my work which hasn't been so obvious until this book. Like I've been, this is the, like Lily, the Lily character is much closer to myself than I've ever written before down to the fact like that, the sampler that appears in the book that says a well-kept house is a sign of an ill-spent life. That yeah. sampler was in my bathroom growing up. Like my, my, my <laughs> so there's definitely like more. And I said to her, I was like, you know, you don't have to read this. You will find yourself here. Like, I'm not going to pretend that you're not here and that our, some of our stuff isn't in here. Even I'm very different from Lily too. And I like, I have a career, which is a huge difference between me and Lily and, you know, whatever. But, but yeah, she has read it and she's, she's just an, inc- she's incredibly supportive and she, she writes herself. And so she knows sort of what it takes and yeah. So the part of the Lily character that's most like you, did that involve the like struggles with the toddler to get the shoes on and out the door? Was that like a total morning in your life? Yes, completely. Lots of times. Yes, absolutely. And also like for those couple of years, we also, we were living in a building in New York where we the basement, that our washing machines were in the basement, not ours, the buildings. Yeah. And just like, and I would, I would just forget the, I mean, we all forget laundry, but if it's in your apartment, it's one thing, but if it's like, in the basement and like, you know, I would get reminded again by this super and I was just like, oh, and I would feel so like ashamed, but then I would also feel so frustrated that I had to keep it all in my head. So it was like that. Yes. I mean, there, I definitely drew on that, you know, yeah. For did, your, did your kid's school actually charge you if you were late? No, I made that up. <laughs> okay, feel. I was like, oh my gosh, what school is this? I was like, just, is that what happens in Park yeah. Slope? I don't know. <laughs> well, it could, which is why I yeah, it could have to. doing it. Oh my gosh. Wow. And what about your daughter? She hasn't read this, has she? Or maybe she, she has? has not. She's not old enough. But I will say that when I first got the galleys in our apartment in Brooklyn and I, I was like doing something and I suddenly heard her and she was in the bathroom and I heard her say, mom, this senator is a real jerk. <laughs> she, was, she had like sn- snuck it without my seeing into the bathroom and it's just it'd been like reading the first opening chapters. And I was like, what is she talking about? And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, no, 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 you shouldn't read that. Um, I mean, thankfully she is, you know, she's now, she's in middle school. She, it's not like she's completely oblivious. And she's also growing up in a moment for better or worse, where she's actually really conscious of a lot of things that I wasn't when I was her age in terms of like things that go on in terms of men and women. And so, you know, I still don't think she's not ready to read the book, but she has a sense of it. And she knows it's dedicated to her. One of my four kids is an almost 13-year-old. I have a 12-year-old daughter also. And I don't know, I've kept her pretty shielded about some of the stuff going on in the news with the men yeah. and women. And I don't know, I haven't like been ready to go there. So yeah, I, I haven't, I've, I've kept her shielded, but somehow it just like from yeah, other sources, it. yeah. it's just like, the, you know, a lot of, as they, you know, I feel like a lot of her influences at this point come from her friends as much as from us. And so that, that's been a real shift in the last year or two, where it's like, oh, right, you're going to learn about things that were not the things we wanted you to know. <laughs> yeah. So we my daughter's ready to talk my, about them. 
My daughter seems to be getting all her information from like the 10 YouTubers she follows, which I didn't oh used God. to allow, but now I'm like, all bets are off. So right. yeah, <laughs> great new hairstyle. Thanks YouTuber. Right. <laughs> so tell me a little more about like where, where you wrote the book, your process. I know you said the, the note cards and all the rest of it, like how long start to finish this took and just where you actually like paint me a picture of where you are, you were writing it. Yeah, I think, I guess I was already, so we had lived in Rhode Island for a few years and then we moved back to Brooklyn. And I think I was pretty much already back in Brooklyn, which means that I no longer had an office in, at my home and that I was writing at the Brooklyn Writers Space, which is where I write. I mean, not during this pandemic, obviously, because it's closed, but it's a shared workspace. It's a totally silent workspace. So there's no sound allowed, like you can't, your phone can't buzz, et cetera. And there, you sort of pick a different cubicle each day. They're thankfully each, like the walls are, you can put pins in them. So I was able to do my index thing, card thing there. But of course it was interesting because like at first I was very frustrated because I had to put my index cards back up every day. Yeah, that's a pain. Down. And then I was like, the, the, the gift in that, it turned out, was that I saw, I noticed them every day and I dealt with them every day. Whereas in my office in Providence, where I had had like my little garret, I would just sort of stop seeing it because it was always up. And so it was, I mean, I try in my process, even it always it changes depending on my kids' ages, depending on like our living situation, depending on, and I try to find sort of the bright spots in the different requirements that are in the different challenges that, that come along. Yeah. So I tend to go, I like, it's like drop the kids off at school and go to the writer's space. And I tend, I try to keep the mornings really as my writing time. I try to, I have, I use the freedom app to block the internet. Like I don't check email. I don't go on any kind of anything. And it's just like, that's my time for drafting, like creating. And then the afternoon I, I do other work. I freelance and I teach, you know, like most writers, but sometimes when that's slow, I'll come back to it in the afternoon for revision or to do research. I try to not research in the mornings because it's always so much easier than writing. And it will just keep me from the writing. Like if I go Google something, I'm like, this is so much more fun than writing that dialogue. <laughs> I need like, I need that freedom app that you mentioned. I want to like push that button now for my life. Like <laughs> so great. I really, I mean, it's, it's actually very scary when you first, if you're, you know, when you first do it. I had always been, I'm a very disciplined person generally, and I'd always had no trouble just like not going on those things. And then after the, the election in 2016, I was like, oh my God, I can't stop. Like I was just, it was like a sickness. And the first couple of days that I put the app on, it actually felt like I was like an addict. Like I felt like I had to like, it was like rehab and I was like jonesing, like, oh my God, I just want to hit. I just want to hit. Yeah. And then and then, but then it's like, I got trained out of it and it was so much better. It's not like I don't do those things, but just to have that window where you're protecting yourself and you're ruthless about it, I feel like it saved me. <laughs> wow. Such yeah. a nice thought to be able to like drop your kids at school and go work. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> it? I mean, if, doesn't it feel like some fantasy now? Like the idea that we could even do that? I, it's amazing to me how quickly it seemed impossible. Like it was all, mm -hmm. like, it only took a week or two where I was before being like, oh, we did that once upon a time? We yeah. I mean, like, let alone like walked into a cafe and sat down and like, I mean, I don't, it's so weird how quickly psychologically it begins to feel like a whole other life. Totally. One that yeah. I hope, I hope we get back to. Oh I mean, my God. Not the school necessarily. And that's like shot for a while, but I don't know, at least being around other people. <laughs> no, I mean, camp would be nice. And I think that's probably nice. not happening either. It's just, it's wild. It's hard to fathom. It continues to be hard to fathom. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, one day at a time. <laughs> Can't look right, too far ahead. <laughs> I'm right there with you. So what was it like finding out you were the GMA book club pick? Totally thrilling. I was just shocked. Honestly, just shocked. I mean, who, was, who wouldn't be shocked by that, right? You'd have to be like a crazy person <laughs> to not be shocked. And I was just like, are you kidding? This is amazing. Just to have that sense of like, embrace from, you know, I think especially a show that reaches so many people all around the country and all different kinds of people and not all people who like in my sort of like little literary circle, but just open it up in that way. And I think, you know, to have such a feminist book embraced by Good Morning America was also really exciting to me. So no, I'm, I'm just thrilled by it and a little bit overwhelmed. (laughs) Wow. Well, congratulations on that. That's so cool. So what's next for you? Are you working on a new project? Are you just going to focus on publicity, which is fine not to say you need to be doing any more than that. I mean, you don't need to be doing a thing, but... Yeah, I had had started... I have like a new novel, Cooking, and I was actually waking up early. A month ago, I was kind of making progress every day, just even like an hour, but that was so great to be in it. I have turned right now to this book and like seeing it out into the world and it feels important to do that. And, but I'll, as soon as I can, I'll get back to that. Even if it's just that hour a day, just to, cause I find, you know, even if it's a little bit of time I'm working on it each day, then it's still in my consciousness in the rest of the time and things will filter through. And that's the most important thing to me is the sort of the regularity. Um, so I'll get there. It's a little, it's too early to talk about it yet, but um, I think it's it set a little bit in a, in the future. It's not like sci-fi or anything, but it is, it's set maybe a decade from now. I'm interested yeah. to hear what's going to happen a decade from now. That's interesting. Me too. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is once this happened, the, the pandemic happened, I was like, oh, huh. Yeah. I might have less of an idea than I even thought I did about what's going to happen. So it's it definitely like part of me is like, I should probably wait and see what's happening here, but I'll just keep <laughs> developing my characters and I might, you know, I'm sure the plot as always will, will change. I loved, by the way, your LA Times quarantine diary, where we got to see oh. what you were doing every day. That was so neat, too. I'm like, thank you. Know, you. You're, you're out there, like, basically camping. You're trying to do whatever with your kids. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. At least I'm not the only one, like, trying to get on Zooms and, yeah, rap, right? Raps. That's what it was. Oh my thank gosh. You. It was actually really cathartic to write that. So it was like such a gift to be allowed to write it, you know, because I feel like I just was like, I don't know, just to make sense as we do as writers of this, of the chaos in, in a form of the diary. There was a very funny, I, I, I think I put it, I'll, I'll send it to you, but there's, there, there was a Google alert. Did you see this that I, I posted a while ago where, you know, the top said like Kate Hudson reports that like quarantining with her boyfriend is like the best sex she's ever had. And then the next line was, Anna Solomon is like building rafts with her son in, and, and like her not because her not in her novels, not, you know, and not on tour. It was just the funniest. And they, they were listed as if they were in relationship to each other. And I was like, this says all of it. Like me oh and Kate God. Hudson, her reality and mine. I think that's really her reality. I mean, no, of course not. Of course not. I mean, great for, I mean, whatever. I, I can't even, I mean, great. If that's her reality, fantastic. Why not? Totally happy. We are all happy. We are all happy. It, yes. it was so funny though. When I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this yeah. reads, if you really read these in a row, this is hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. I'll send it to you. Yeah. The juxtaposition of uh, <laughs> glamour and, you know, reality. But yeah. <laughs> do you have any advice to aspiring authors for aspiring authors? Yes. I think to me, the thing that, and it, obviously people are at different stages in their, in their writing and maybe some are already in sort of a career and others aren't. I think to me, the things that feel the most important to let, to say is write and write and write and write and 
try to focus on the writing at this point and not the career part. Like let yourself figure it, you know, do that work. And it takes years for most people, if not decades to get to where they should be thinking about like, can I find an agent? Should I get published? You know, it's, it's an incredible, like it's a muscle, the writing muscle. And the other thing is read, just don't, you know, I know people will say like, I don't want to be influenced too much by, and it's like, no, 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 no. You do want to be influenced. Like you, this is how we learn to write is by reading. So read and read and read, pay attention as a writer, learn to read as a writer. You know, like what the thing that you loved about this book as a reader, go back to it, figure out what the writer's doing. Like, oh, huh, this is how you set up a plot in this way. Or, oh, that's interesting. If you bring an object in, in this way, you can move a scene along or all the things that you can learn from what other writers have done. Like, don't be shy about it. And, you know, myself and many writers I know, we still, you know, when I'm in a moment where I'm like, how do I move a someone across the room again, I turn to the books I love, you know, that's not plagiarizing. That's like, that's just craft. That's like, oh, right. Here are possible ways to do this. I remember now. Anna <laughs> um, Sullivan yeah. talks plagiarism tactics on GMS right. Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> Use it five. <laughs> Please tune in tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, Anna, thank you so much for doing this interview. This will be on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for doing it through the GMA Book Club, you know, Instagram and I, how great that this worked out. I'm sorry I had to reschedule, but this is even better. So <laughs> it's perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything and just all, of, all of what you're bringing to the literary community with my book and, and others. It's no, it's my pleasure. Okay. All right. I'll send well, you that hopefully link. I'll see you in a, yes, send me the link and I'm going to go check out Uncount as well. Okay. Please do. It's Unkempt Real Life. Okay. Unkempt Real Life. Okay. I'm there. Bye, Anna. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Recliner NYC for being a partner, for giving everybody a discount of 20% off with the code MOMSXRECLINER and for partnering with me after I loved your product so much. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 